This Sunday, we're going to continue in the book of Hebrews, so if you want to grab your Bible, and you can open there to chapter 4. Pastor Jim did the first part of chapter 4 last week, which urged us to enter the Sabbath rest of God, which is in Christ, that we would stop striving to make ourselves acceptable to God, but rather accept Christ's righteousness and stand holy and perfect before God in that, and we can have great peace and rest in Him. But today we're going to look at, starting at verse 14 and going through chapter 6, <coughs> verse 3, um, the author of Hebrews is going to delve into a, a deeper topic here that's actually going to run through chapter 10, and um, he wants to show us that Jesus is our great and final high priest, okay? And this is not just religious language, right, and kind of technical theology. I mean, we talk a lot about priests in our city and in our culture, but he's got some really important things to say about this. And this, this has a lot of um, power for our Christian life if we understand what he's telling us. And so what he wants to show us this morning is that in Jesus, you have an advocate before God. That's what it means for Jesus to be our high priest. And we're not talking about the, one of the lawyers from the advocates that we see on TV, right? Where you call in and you do your injury, injury law and they try to take advantage of you and take all your money. No, Jesus is quite a different advocate. Okay, He left heaven, he gave up his riches to help us. And so we're going to see what that means for us. Look, God can be big and powerful and scary, right? And we should fear him. The Bible says that. But in his love and grace towards us, he has adorned his very throne with grace, and he did it in the person of Jesus. He said, this is the person through which you can approach me. And you know what Jesus' posture towards us is? It's open arms, right? It's always open arms. Jesus always looks at us and says, you come. You come and you talk to me about the things going on in your life and I can help you and I know what it's like because I've been there. And this is the great high priest that God has given us to relate to him. And what we're going to see is that the author's exhortation to us here in Hebrews is, is that if we make Jesus our Lord, he is then our advocate and we should then begin to live our Christian life without fear, with confidence, with vigor, with freedom in the love and grace of God because we know we are accepted and we are heard and we are taken care of. If Jesus is our advocate, then there is no persecution too strong. There is no tragedy too deep. There is no sin that is too powerful and overpowering that Jesus can't see us through. In fact, Romans 8, 34 through 35 says it this way. Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was the one who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is now interceding for us. Right? This is the gospel. Who then shall separate us from the love of Christ? What's the answer? Nothing and no one. Okay? No one, nothing you could face or experience can separate you from the love of God in Christ. He is our advocate. And Christians, we have to get this and believe it and hold on to it deeply 
and it will change your life, right? Like the song we were singing before, how much pain and sorrow have we borne in our life because we were unwilling to go to God? And this says you can go to God because there's one who's going to invite you of open arms and pick you up and take you to the Father, and his name is Jesus. So this is the author's message, right? We have an advocate, so then let's keep the faith and let's run to Jesus quickly. That's what he's going to tell us. And then don't be apathetic to this message, right? That's what he's going to show us. So let's, let's jump in and look at our verses this morning. First thing we'll see here is that Jesus is our advocate before the Father, starting in verse 14 of Hebrews. Now, just previous to that, last week, Pastor Jim talked about this in verses 11 through 13. It talks about that the Word of God is living and active, and it it cuts into our hearts, and it shows our thoughts and intentions, and that one day, we're going to have to stand before God and give an answer for all those things that are in our heart. And that can be kind of scary, right? I mean, I don't know if you've been to the principal's office when you were a kid. Pastor Jared happened to go there more than you would imagine. It's not a fun place to be to answer for the things you've done. But the author points then now, okay, so there's that. God's word cuts to our heart and we've got to answer to God. But he's going to tell us we have an advocate. Look what he says here in verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. That means let's keep believing. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. He's saying, look it, just when you think you're done, just when you think you've given up, sin's got the better of you, you need to look up to Jesus, who is your high priest and wants to advocate for you before the Father. Instead of running from God, he's saying, no, actually, when you're in trouble, you ought to run right to Jesus. And this goes against everything that we feel in our hearts so many times. So let's explain this a little more here. First thing he tells us is if we have Jesus as a great high priest, we should hold fast our confession. That means you keep believing if Jesus is our high priest. Keep the faith. Keep believing. Don't give up. Remember, Hebrews is written to Jewish or Jews that have become Christians in Rome, and they're facing all sorts of persecution. It's tempting them to walk away from the gospel, to walk away from God. It's not worth it. I don't like what we're facing And we know that there's a lot of things that can come against us in this world as Christians that want us, make us want to just walk away from God, right? Things we experience, our sin, maybe maybe the feeling just of being, feel like there's no way God could accept me because of what I've done. Or there's no kind of God that would do this to me. And Satan wants us to think that we could never be good enough to be in the presence of God or that God doesn't care about you because these things are going on in your life. And the author is saying, but wait a second. If we have Jesus, this advocate before the Father, then we ought not give up because we have God's ear. He wants to hear from us. And he's saying in the person of Jesus, 
I want to show you grace and love, and I want to help you with where you're at. And so let me ask you, what event in your life right now is making you want to walk away? What makes you want to throw in the towel and walk away from God? Makes you think, you know what? God doesn't care for me. What temptation to sin in your life? What sin in your life is saying, there's no way God could accept me the way that I am? Feels too powerful. Feels like no one can relate to what I'm going through. Feels like I'll never get over this thing. And the author says, look to Jesus. Right? He's there for you. He's saying, look to Jesus. You have an advocate before God that's going to show you grace and usher you into the throne room of God. And then God says he will help you. So keep the faith. Keep believing. And then it says this about Jesus as our high priest. He can sympathize with us because he's been tempted in every way just like we have been tempted. Okay, this is one of the sweetest realities of the Christian faith, right? Jesus is not just some aloof religious figure, right? I mean, I've been in Europe for the last two and a half weeks. I've seen a lot of pictures of Jesus. And he doesn't look like he can relate to me in a lot of those pictures, okay? But the author's saying, don't think of Jesus like that. He's just like you. He became a man. He lived in the dirt and the mire. He struggled with tragedy. Do you know a lot of people think that Joseph, his father, died when he was young? He struggled with tragedy, right? All the things of life came against him as sin. Again, Hebrews 4.15 says, he can sympathize with us in our weaknesses because he's been tempted just as we are and yet without sin. We saw a couple chapters ago in Hebrews 2 that it says that Jesus was made like us in every way so that he could save us. He became one of us so that he could save us and now he is just like us as an advocate to the Father on your behalf. And we can think that, again, Jesus was tempted to overindulge in food and drink at parties called a glutton and a drunkard, right? Had many women who followed him around and supported his ministry as a single man. We know that he was likely tempted sexually. Tempted to be prideful, tempted to rebel against God's plan. Satan wanted to get him off track from what God was doing. In fact, he was tempted by riches. Satan said, why don't I just give you everything instead of you walking this road of suffering? Tempted to be angry at God because of the tragedies and illnesses he faced in his life. Tempted to escape the suffering he knew that was coming. He's been there. And faced with all the temptation, he did not sin. This is what makes him qualified to be the sacrifice that he is for our sin. He was perfect, the spotless lamb. And we might say, well, he was God. Of course he didn't sin. But the Bible points to the fact that Jesus defeated temptation in his life with the same tools that me and you have. He did it in his humanity. That he did it with the word of God, in faith, believing what God had said, and he did it through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he can sympathize with the struggle that it is to walk this road of being human. 
And yet he's saying, I know how to defeat it. I know how to get through it. If you'll look to me, he can sympathize with us. He can help us in our time of need. You know, when you're really going through it in life, there's nothing better, in my opinion, than talking to a friend who's been through it too. Uh, you know, lots of times when I'm experiencing things in my parenting and I've failed again, or if I'm going through some things here at church and trying to figure out what to do, I call my good friend Brian Catherine, who's up at Redeeming Life Church, and you know what he says to me a lot of times? I've been there. I know what it's like, right? That's so soothing to our soul to know that somebody else has experienced what we're experiencing. And then you know what he says? He encourages me in faith. Okay, here's what God says. Here's what we got to do. Here's how we got to walk it out. This is who Jesus is to us. This is what it means to be our high priest. He's saying, I've been there. I know what it's like. And, and I know it's terrible and it hurts. But here's what we're going to do to get through it. Here's what God has for you. Here's the strength I can give you to get through. And guess what? There's no bad experiences wasted in the Christian life. Everything that Jesus went through, what was it for? So he could sympathize with us and teach us what it means to follow God. In the same way, when you go through hard things as a Christian and God sees you through it, what's he doing? He's preparing you to sympathize with somebody else that needs to hear the gospel in the midst of what they're going through. This is why we're a kingdom of priests, as he says. Jesus is our high priest, and he knows what it's like, and he shows us where to go. But as you experience it and grow in Christ, you get to show other people what it means to follow Jesus in the midst of hard things. And he says to us here in these verses, here's what our response should be. We should run to Jesus. If this is who Jesus is as our high priest, our advocate, then we ought to run to him at every every turn. He's sitting at the right hand of God. He can sympathize with us. Then our response ought to be to run to him as soon as we can. Hebrews 4.16, let us then with confidence draw near the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We're going to get a little technical here, so put on your, your uh, academic language hat for a second. You know, this word here to draw near in the Greek, it's not a, like a one-time thing, okay? It's this ongoing action. You don't just do it once. You, you draw near all the time. This is ongoing. It's going to be your whole life that he's saying, let's draw near over and over and over again. It's never ending. And this word confidence, I love this, draw near with confidence, right? It has this idea of fearlessness, or being just outspoken when we come to God. Being bold in our speech. You know, I've said some really gnarly things to God before. <laughs> I hope you have. Right? This is, this is Jesus' invitation to us, right? We couldn't, we couldn't maybe say those things to God, but we can say them to Jesus. And guess what? He's our advocate before the Father. It was a really freeing day in my life when I learned, you know what? I can talk to God frankly, about where I'm at, because I have a high priest who's interceding for me. I can come to him exactly where I'm at and say, God, I don't like this, and this really hurts, and why are you doing that? And I need help, dang it. 
This is the heart of what the author is telling us. We have a high priest that wants to hear from us, and he's inviting us to come, and we got to come in regularly. And so I'd ask you, do you run to Jesus regularly when you're in trouble? When you're stuck in sin, when that temptation is right there, do you run to Jesus or do you run away? See, our sin nature makes us want to run away and hide, right? Just like the kids, you know, your kids at home when they do something bad and you're like, where are you? That's what happened in the garden. Adam and Eve, Genesis 3, 7 through 9, right? They sinned against God. They instantly felt the shame, and so they covered themselves up, and what they do? Ran and hide. You know, I often, I was wondering this week, what would it have looked like if Adam had just come to God and said, you know what, God, I really screwed up. I think we might be in a different situation, <laughs> right? But instead, what do we do? We run away, this is our heart, we rebel against God, then we know we've sinned, and then we, we hide even more. This is the default response of our brokenness. But in the gospel, it teaches us we ought to do the very opposite. That in the midst of your brokenness, in the darkest moment, you ought to get up and you ought to run to Jesus. Because he is your advocate before the Father who can sympathize with you and can help you. And God in his love and mercy towards us became like us. He walked in our shoes. He faced the temptation we face. He suffered and struggled and did not sin. And yet now he sits interceding for us. And his open invitation to you is to come to me in the midst of what you're fighting. And when you come to him in your brokenness, he's going to scoop you up in his arms. And he's going to say, I know. It's difficult. Yeah, and that thing wasn't so fun. And yeah, that wasn't really good what you did there. But I forgive you, and I love you, and I'm going to show you how to get out of this. Walk with me. So how are you going to draw near to him today to help you? What, what sin in your life do you just need to sit down with Jesus and talk about it? Say, God, I'm struggling. What temptation do you need him to help you resist? What's going on in your life that, you need to guide, that he needs to guide you through? Where are you suffering that you're going, God, I need your help? He says, come to me. That's why I'm here. And as we learn to do that more and more, Romans 2.4, I love this. It says, God's kindness to us is meant to lead us to repentance. When you run to Jesus, you're going to find grace and mercy and love and kindness. And when you experience that, what does it do? It changes your heart. I want more and more of that. And so you run back quicker and quicker and quicker. And so let's, as a people, let's confidently and boldly run to Jesus. Wherever you're at this morning, we're going to take communion later. It would be a great time. Run to Jesus, right? Experience Him afresh. Now, in the second part here, the author of Hebrews is going to remind us of what priests actually do in the Old Testament, okay? So he's given us kind of his big statement. Really, that 14 through 16 is kind of one of the biggest statements in Hebrews. You got a high priest, run to him, okay? But now he's going to remind us what priests do and show you how, why Jesus is this high priest. So let's look at what human priests do here in Hebrews 5.1 says, look, for every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men 
in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. Okay, so we, we know this from the, the Old Testament about what priests do. They're intermediaries between God and man. And the people would come to the priests, and the priests would then offer their sacrifices for sins or their, their uh, blessing offerings, you know, thank offerings to God, whatever it was. They would bring it to the priest. The priest would interact with God, okay? We know this. We see this in Leviticus chapters 1 through 6. And here he particularly points to the fact that priests carried out sacrifices for people for their sins. And we can read in Leviticus 16, 1 through 25, that one day a year the high priest on the day of atonement would enter into the Holy of Holies before God, the only guy that was qualified to do this, and he would offer sacrifices on Israel's behalf for all the sins of the people. Okay, this is what human priests did. Then look what it says here in verse 2. It says, he, the human priest, he can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Okay, this is a big statement. Because of this, he's obligated to offer sacrifices for his own sins just as he does for the, those of the people. So we see that in the Old Testament that the priests are not special in their holiness. They have sins just like the people, and so they would have to make sacrifices for themselves. They have weakness before they could go in and make atonement for the people's sin. And so, though we're talking about priests, I want to say one thing here about what it's telling us, because I think this points out a, a value that we have here at Risen Life Church as pastors, and really that all Christians should carry. And this is that Kevin and I as pastors at this church, we strive to lead in the midst of our brokenness. I at no point want you to think that I am better than you, more holy than you, because I am not. <laughs> I am beset with weakness and sin, just like everyone in this room. And God did not appoint us to lead this church because we are perfect, just like he did not appoint perfect men to lead Israel. They are beset with weakness. And so it is my job as a pastor to live in the gospel in my brokenness so that you can learn what it means to live in the gospel in your brokenness. And we deeply struggle with sin. I was struggling with mine last night and this morning, right? It sucks. But we have to live in the gospel like you guys. And during Vision Sunday, we talked about creating a gospel-centered culture at Risen Life Church. And this is really the first thing. We, we acknowledge our brokenness, and then we believe biblical truth about what God says about that, that we have a high priest that's made atonement for us, and then we create a culture where you can come in in your brokenness and find healing in the gospel. And it says our brokenness as shepherds should cause us to deal gently with those that we are shepherding because we know what it's like to wrestle with sin. And I'd say the same thing to you. If you've experienced from us or the staff gentleness towards your brokenness, then as you experience the gospel in that way, it is then your turn to turn around to those in this congregation and do the same thing. Because we know what it means to be broken and yet totally accepted by God, we turn around and help those in their brokenness so that they can feel the love and grace of God. In Hebrews 5, 4, it says, Look, 
No one takes this priestly honor on himself, but only when God is called by God, just as Aaron was. And so it's saying, look, no one's made a priest without God's call in their life. Okay, so this is what human priests did. Now look at what it says. He's going to transition here in verse 5 to then tell us how Jesus meets that mold of a priest. Okay, so look at verse 5. Here's how Jesus fulfills the role. It says, so also, and he's going to do it in reverse order now, Christ did not exalt himself to be made high priest, but was appointed by the one who said to him, you are my son today, I've begotten you. Again, that title of son to Jesus shows his close relationship to the Father, how he knows all of what God is. God has led him in to all that he said. And then in verse 6, it says this, Then he also said in another place, Jesus, you're a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, I don't want us to get sidetracked there. (laughs) Melchizedek's a really weird figure in the Bible. And we're going to talk a lot more about that in a couple chapters. But just know for right now, all he's saying is Jesus was a priest appointed by God just like human priests are appointed by God, and he's a priest forever just like Melchizedek was a priest forever. That's what he's telling you, okay? And so we draw near to Jesus as our high priest because we know this is God's good plan. God set him in place so you can have confidence that Jesus is working on your behalf. Now, verse 7, he says this, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. In the same way that the human priest is beset with weakness, it says Jesus is beset with suffering. Right? He He doesn't sin. We know he doesn't sin, but he sure suffered in it. He sure felt the temple of temptation. He sure wanted to give up. And he's saying that suffering that Jesus had is just like the weakness that we see in human priests. Okay? Not saying Jesus was inadequate or had incomplete knowledge, but that as he walked through it, he knew what it meant to follow God. Then in verse 9 and 10, it tells us about the work Jesus has done in his high position. It says, verse 9, And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So here it's saying Jesus perfectly walked out what God had for him. And as he did that, he walked all through the suffering, he made it through the temptation Without sinning, he was now prepared to be that sacrificial lamb that would come and save the world. This is God's plan. He's our high priest. There's no other intermediary. First Tim- Timothy 2, 5-6 says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all. This is his call. So the question is, Are you going to run to Jesus? Are you going to get right with God by running to Jesus and let him be the sacrifice on your behalf? Right? That's what we do in the gospel. We bring all of our sin to Jesus. He died on the cross for it. In exchange, he gives us his righteousness, and we stand holy and perfect before the Father. Are you going to let him be your high priest? This is what he's asking us. 
you haven't made Jesus your Lord, then I'd encourage you this morning, this is a good day to do it, right? Call out to him, say, Jesus, your Lord, save me, forgive me of my sins, help me to walk in your ways. So the author of Hebrews is telling us what this great high priest, how Jesus is our great high priest. But now he's going to get to a problem that we have with this whole thing. So look at this in Hebrews 5.11 through the end of our 6.3 here. He says, here's our problem. We have this great high priest. He can sympathize with us. He wants to help you. You know what our problem is? We're apathetic. We just go, huh. Sounds nice. Right? Hebrews 5.11. He says, about this we have much to say. He's saying about Jesus being your high priest and how he can advocate for you. We got a lot to say. It's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Isn't this us? Authors got a lot more to say about Jesus. We've grown tired of hearing it. Don't really care about hearing it. It's not that exciting. Yeah, yeah, we've heard it all before. Right? Become apathetic to the greatest news that has ever come to earth, and we wonder why we're still floundering in our life. In fact, Revelation 3, 15 and 16, Jesus to the church in Laodicea says, Look, you are neither hot nor cold. You are lukewarm. You're apathetic, so I'm spitting you out. Jesus would rather be super hot for him or actually kind of mad at him. He can deal with those things. But apathy, not a good place to be because that doesn't get you anywhere. And the answer the author of Hebrews is going to give us, he's going to call us to maturity in Christ that we got to get after growing in the Lord. Look at what he says in verse 12 through 6.3. He says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again about the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature For those who have the powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrines of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God and of instructions about washings and the laying on of hands and the resurrection from the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Now, I want to say this. I love milk. (laughs) For the first 40 years of my life, at night, before I went to bed, I would get a cold glass of chocolate milk. That is my favorite snack in the whole universe. It's better than beer. It's better than wine. It's better than a steak. It's a cold glass of chocolate milk. In fact, in college, I loved chocolate milk so much I was trying to gain weight. I started drinking Nesquik Bunny. You know, you stir in the chocolate and the milk. In between meals, I added 3,000 calories a day to my diet, and I gained zero pounds. I love milk. But there came a time about five years ago when my stomach said, no more milk. Okay, and I'll spare you the details there. And I had to move on to something better, right? 
This is the process of becoming an adult. <laughs> and this is what the author of Hebrews is getting at. He's saying, look at guys, it's time to grow up and mature in your faith. Right? You become apathetic to the gospel. We're stuck kind of miling around here, you know, and like what's right and wrong and how to be right with Jesus and like, but there is so much more. Right? Let's, let's grow up. And I'm trying to teach you fantastic things about God, he's saying, but you can't understand it because you're stuck on the basics. I'm trying to give you a steak dinner and you want a baby's bottle and a diaper. In fact, next week, the author of Hebrews is going to warn us, if we don't begin to grow up, and if we begin to fade away from what we know, then you might just be in trouble. Eternally in trouble is what he's going to say. And it's fascinating to me. He tells us what these elementary things are. He says, look, it's how to repent from sin, okay? It's, how to, it's what's right and wrong. Like, how do I live as a Christian? It's how to have faith. It's instructions about washings. And some people think that's baptism or other Jewish washings they may have been doing. It's about laying on of hands for ministry. Hope in the resurrection from the dead. The coming eternal judgment. He's saying, these are the basic things, guys. And you could care less. And we've said before here, and, and we would hold to it, that, look, we, we know we don't ever get beyond the gospel, okay? We, you know, Titus 2, 11 through 12 says the gospel saves us, and then it continues to sanctify us. The gospel is what transforms us when we're saved and throughout the rest of our Christian life. But what he's saying is, you ought to know these things by now, and from there, as they are a part of you, they should launch you into great things with God. You should know these things to your very core. And I always like to ask, well, if that's baby's milk, what's the meat? What is it? You know, you've always heard people in church are like, well, I, want, I don't want just milk teaching. I want the meat teaching. Well, do you understand the milk? <laughs> but what's the meat? I think it's some of these things. I think it's freedom in Christ to walk with the Spirit. But I'm not always walking around going, what's right and wrong? I go, what does God have for me right now? How do I live in this situation? It's being on mission to advance God's kingdom. Listen, you got to know the gospel to be a missionary and to plant churches. These things should be a part of you and you should have lived them and experienced them so that you can then go out and teach others. It's about reveling in the presence of God and enjoying it. Like, how many of us just sit and go, God, you are just so awesome. Just being with you motivates me. I just want to live for your glory, God. It's about standing in the face of persecution and hardship and suffering with resolute hope and faith in the gospel. I mean, these are the, these are the meat of the faith. These are the kind of things I want to be as a Christian. This is what he's calling us to. We got a great high priest who can help us. Let's get to work, he says. And so let me ask you this morning, Ben, you can come on up. Where do you need to grow in your faith? Where is it time to take a new step with Jesus? You know, we get so stuck on, on the things of right and wrong. Is God happy with me and whatever? No, God is so happy with you and Jesus, it's ridiculous. Now let's do something with it, right? 
Where do you need to grow up? Where do you need to take ownership of the truths of the gospel and begin to live them out in new ways? What's God calling you to? Where is He calling you to get off the couch and let's run together? Let's enjoy each other. Paul encourages us in Philippians 2, 12 and 13, let's work out our salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Being a disciple is as easy as learning as what God has said in His Word and then carrying it out in our life. How are you doing with that? We have a great high priest, as the Bible has told us this morning, Jesus, who wants to help us do just that. So let's run to Him, right? Run to Him in your sin. Run to Him in your struggles. Run to Him in your suffering. He says, come boldly. I can help you. And after I help you, we got places to go. Are you going to go with me? He's calling us to something new. Let's go with him. And we're going to come to a time of communion this morning. And I think this is an opportunity for us to draw close to the throne of grace boldly. Right? The Bible asks us to examine our hearts as we come to a time of communion. What ongoing sin do you have? Run to Jesus. What broken relationships do you have this morning in here? Run to Jesus. Let's get them right. I had to make one right this morning. And then we can commit to follow him and to go where he's taken us. We remember what Jesus did, but we also pledge ourselves to him to say, I'm in. I'm a Christian. I'm going to follow you. Where are we going? And so as we prepare, I'd like you to think about those things. If you have kids in the room this morning, I hope you've mentioned to them that we're doing communion this morning. And if they're followers of Jesus, we would invite them to partake of the communion table. In fact, communion, we believe, is for believers that have confessed Jesus as Lord. This is saying, I'm going to follow you. And so we want to help our kids that have done that partake of this with us. But help them to examine their hearts too. Maybe take a moment to pray with them. Talk with them about where they're at and where Jesus can help them. And then we'll partake together. So I'm going to ask the deacons to come forward. And you consider this as we sing.